Uh, well, I'm so glad that you're uh, here. I want to welcome those of you watching in Duval, Issaquah online as well. And uh, we are in beginning the man series. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to start with some man facts uh, to, to help us sort of get going on this. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit why we're in this series. Uh, well, here, here are some man facts that you may or may not have known. Unfaithful men have lower IQs. Here's another one. Men spend almost a year of their lives staring at women, women, a survey found. Any of you believe that true? Okay, you're not saying anything. Okay, men lie six times a day, twice as often as women. If your laptop feels hot, don't put it on your lap. If you're a man, it may cause infertility. Here's another one. Men with shaved heads are perceived an inch taller and 13% stronger than men with hair. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, what if you're not shaving your head, but it just sort of ends up that way anyway? That's what I'm wondering. Uh, men can lactate too, but only under extreme circumstances. Now, I appreciate the creative team, but I just didn't need to know that information. I really uh, didn't. Uh, here's one. For Valentine's Day, a poll found that men spend an average of $154 on fiancés and 136 on their wives. Do I get a boo from the women? Okay, and uh, here's, despite popular belief, studies shows that men are not more flatulent than women. Uh, anyone dispute that fact? Okay, there's a few of you uh, that might, uh, might. Well, hey, if you're here, there are a few things I know about you. Is one that uh, you probably want to uh, get to know God better. In fact, it's great to see such a big crowd on such a sunny weekend. Uh, and uh, that's uh, one reason that you're here, that maybe you're interested in our topic. Maybe you don't. In fact, can I do a little poll? How many of you uh, have air conditioning at your home? And you still, so many of you, you're awesome. Uh, well, we're glad that you came. Uh, and I want to talk to you about the goals of this series. But before we do that, let's go ahead and read our first verse. It's uh, Proverbs 20. Uh, verse 5. It says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. And that's really what we're trying to do is uh, to draw out some truths that we normally wouldn't uh, look at, at least in the particular way we are just for the next few weeks. Well, here are the goals for this series. Uh, people said, hey, why are you doing a series called uh, The Man Series? We'd actually planned this uh, a long time. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, conversations about men and women and gender in the news. We'd planned this months ago, but I think it's very timely uh, that we look at this. Uh, one is to explore the Bible. Uh, we're going to look at parts of the Bible. In fact, uh, today we're going to look at a part of the Bible that my guess is most of you who've been in church even for quite a while have not studied the account uh, that we're going to study. And it really is going to be quite instructive for us as uh, we look at what it means to uh, decode men. Uh, number two is to become better men. Uh, so if you're a man, that, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, so uh, how many of you uh, would admit that you know someone who could be a better man? Yeah, you would uh, do that there. Uh, the, the, we, all, we all know that. Uh, you know, as I, as I look at this, I look at this not just from a pastoral perspective, 
but from a personal perspective. Uh, there, there were some people who shared with me uh, really what that meant to uh, be, not only be a man, but be a man that honors God uh, during my teenage years. Uh, I, I've shared uh, before, my parents were uh, divorced. My dad lived a couple thousand miles away. Uh, I got to see him, and that was very meaningful. But then he died uh, when I was a teenager. And so I really had to, to understand, hey, what does it mean uh, to be a, a man and a man uh, that honors God? I, it, just to let you know how important this is, uh, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why single moms, if you're raising a child alone, uh, you're one of my heroes because it is, so, it is very difficult because we need to stop these trends. It says, now this is just for, uh, for households with kids. That says that 90% of inmates in prison didn't have a relationship with their father. Uh, and so this is really important that uh, 44% of uh, poverty is related to fatherless homes, and 71% of high school dropouts are in those homes. And so we need to understand the powerful influence of, of both men and women. We're going to look at men in this series. When we do a series on women, I'm not going to even try to preach it. I'm going to have <laughs> someone else, probably my wife will come up here, or either that or I'll just preach it and she'll correct me all the time when I'm wrong during the sermon. <laughs> That wouldn't work out till he was. So I think we'll do it together. I think that'll work out a little better. Uh, and then uh, number three is to understand men better. Uh, now, that's really what I'm talking about in particular uh, tonight. So uh, this, this will be good for men and women. But, uh, and I notice a lot more men <laughs> than normal, so this is good. But ladies, this is really going to be focused quite a lot on you. I think uh, men will get insight in this. Uh, as well. See, sometimes we, we think simplistically about, you know, men and women. Oh, we know all the differences. How many of you have seen this image uh, before it describes the mind of men and women? <laughs> yeah, and we're like, okay, that pretty much explains everything, doesn't it? Uh, now, these images are fun and funny, uh, but I don't think it'll really help you decode men. I think some men, and I would say many of us, we don't know why we do what we do why we feel what we feel. Honestly, we have a hard time sometimes dealing with those emotions. And I think we're going to understand that, especially as we look at, uh, tonight we're going to look at really a, a single account of Scripture. It comes from two chapters in the Bible, uh, but it's about uh, David and uh, his wife, Mikkel. Now, this is not just, just for married people. Uh, but, but this story is really uh, incredible because there's a backstory behind every story. Uh, and so uh, we're going to look at that, and then we're going to apply it more broadly to work relationships, to parents and children uh, as well. Well, here's what we read. We read in 1 Samuel uh, 18, uh, verse 20. Saul's daughter, Michal, was in love with David. Starts out good, doesn't it? They are in love. By the way, if people ask me why, you know, I, we require marriage counseling, uh, for anyone who's going to get married here, even though I've had people, I've shared this story before, I had someone get very mad at me, said, I don't need marriage counseling. I've been married four times. I know what it's all about. Uh, so literally, you know, and did not see the irony in it at all. Uh, so, uh, but I don't do a lot of marriage counseling when it comes to premarital counseling. Do you know why? 
because I can't get through that hazy barrier called infatuation and love. You know, you guys will face, you'll have problems. They're like, oh, not us. He's perfect. He's, I'm like, sweetie, you just talked to me in a couple years. <laughs> you know, and the true, because we see all the positive at first. And things are going really well, aren't they? Uh, it says, so when they, uh, David loved her as well. It says, when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. Uh, and now notice the word they. He's asking for the father's blessing uh, when it comes to a, a marriage relationship. Uh, really uh, wonderful. My daughter's, uh, my oldest daughter who's in college has dated. And, and one of the things she does is she makes the boys meet me. Uh, before they really start dating. Even uh, in college, she's in college, and a uh, boy that uh, has been seeing her is, is uh, coming up, and he's going to meet me. And she said, the only problem is that all the boys are really afraid of you. And I said, that's because daddy's doing a good job. <laughs> but so he's asking for the blessing there. And uh, now we, we couldn't, we don't know Saul's heart. But now look at what we read uh, here. I will give her to him, he thought, so she may be a snare to him. There's something we don't know about Mikhail, right? That little princess is really trouble. Or maybe he's going to cause trouble in the relationship. And I think that's really what we find in the account. It says this, uh, when Saul realized that uh, the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michal, loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. So what's going on here? Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second king of Israel. Saul had walked away from God. God said, hey, you can do that, but that special relationship, that blessing on your leadership is going to move away. And God, God said, I'm going to have someone else take your place. David never asserted that position. But Saul, he, he really was fearful. Uh, in fact, that's really what led him away from God in the first place. It's an interesting account. Uh, we might be looking at that this summer as well. It was his, his fear and his insecurity that caused him to walk away from God. Oftentimes we, we think it's, hey, someone's just strong. They don't think they need God. Oftentimes I think it's our own insecurity. We're afraid to give up that relationship with God. And so what he does is he enters in the relationship. He's the third person in the relationship. And here's something that I think that we should ask uh, really about any relationship. Uh, you know, we can apply this to men in particular this, uh, this time. Is there a poison pill in the relationship? Uh, what do I mean uh, by that? Is that sometimes there can be a poison pill in a relationship. Maybe you were uh, hurt by uh, your dad and now you, uh, and it was real. Or there was someone in your life and you view uh, all men as potential abusers. And that comes out of a very real experience. But that will be a poison pill in a relationship. I'm not saying that it's not justified. I'm just saying if you carry that in, that no matter what you decode, it's not going to, you got to deal with that thing first. Maybe you've had someone walk out on you and 
you're saying, I'm not going to get too close because if I do, I will let myself get hurt again. And what happens when you don't get too close? You don't develop a relationship and there's not intimacy and it creates a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so I think these are questions that we want to ask. Is there something where, now in this case, it was literally her father who was causing trouble. I've seen that in families, by the way, where people are married and still they're looking to get approval from mom or dad. The Bible is pretty clear about this one, by the way, is, for, is that the two will become one flesh and that they're to leave the home and start a new family. It doesn't mean you don't honor your parents, but you don't obey them anymore. And the Bible's really uh, clearer on that. So, uh, so what we're looking at is if, there's, if we've dealt with a poison pill, if there is one in a relationship, maybe it's with your boss, maybe you had someone uh, abuse their authority, and so now you push back against any authority. And because of that, it affects your career prospects. I've seen people do that again and again. If you face the same problem again and again, it's really, that doesn't make you a bad person, but you do need to ask the question why. Because it's not just, hey, I'm unlucky, I hear. It's something that we brought into uh, a relationship. And I would say this in particular uh, at this point with ladies and men, is there something that you're bringing in and, and maybe something very real? It usually is something real. Well, if we've dealt with that, how do we decode men? Well, what we're going to look at is an account that happens not in uh, that chapter that we read, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, when they're just coming together and they're in love, is when there's been some uh, water underneath the bridge where Saul has been, he's gotten involved in the relationship. He actually uh, tried to break up their marriage. It's all there. We can't go into all of it with the time allotted. Uh, and then, so, so David's coming back after uh, uh, he has just had one of the greatest victories in his life. And it's the interaction there that we learn a lot about men. And uh, these are just some observations that we find in the Bible. Uh, Number one, and this one's no surprise to you, is that men, we want to win. Uh, Men uh, want to win. And that's uh, true. Now, we're all competitive at something. Uh, That may be sports for you. It may be, but in general, not, not every man, but almost every man wants to win in some area of his life. Like one of the things that uh, I, I can get a little obsessive with this, uh, if you've ever taken the Gallup organization has a, a, a uh, research study and they discover people's strengths. And the number one, and I don't know if it's a strength or not for me, is competition. And so I always like to win. And so uh, we used to have people over for game nights at our house, but invariably the result was the same. If they were from the church, they left the church after the game night. And I don't know if it was the brutal competition or the gloating afterwards, but you know, pretty. But there's something that we want to, to, to win. And so for David, here's how he defined uh, the win. The win for him was leading well, and it really it had to do with leading spiritually uh, the, the nation of Israel. That was part of his responsibility. Uh, and so here's what we read. So David went to bring the ark of God 
from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. It, it had been this instrument of worship had been taken away. And so he has this great sense of victory, and he, and he wants to win. And that's not a bad thing. There's a holy ambition. There's an unholy ambition as well. Well, this is something that's very true that I know of almost every man, is that we want to win at home as well, uh, that we want to win at home. Uh, it, because, you know, think about it if, if you're married. You've heard this before. If mama's not happy, nobody's happy. See, only the women said that. Guys, you're in trouble. No wonder you're in trouble if you didn't know that. If you didn't know that, that's the only, that's a word of the Lord for you today. That's all you needed to hear. Uh, so uh, most men want to win at home. I would say most of us, uh, both men, and I would say women as well, is we don't know how to win at home naturally. Uh, we see David's heart in this, and, and you almost wish you could enter into the story and at this point and say to Michal that, that look at his heart. It says this, that David returned home to bless his household, that his goal was to uh, be a blessing to his household. And Maybe uh, for you, uh, you're in a relationship and it's hard. You, you're not seeing that, that really those, those feeble attempts. I, I've talked to people, especially with their fathers, and a dad that was gone a lot because he was working all the time. And there's two ways to really read that. Uh, one is, hey, he thought the job was more important than you, and I know a lot of people feel, feel that way. But for a lot of men, especially men of the last generation, that was their sort of imperfect way of saying, I love you, and I want to provide for you. It doesn't make the absence okay, but when you understand that, when you have that level of grace, then I think it'll, it can change the dynamic uh, and the nature of a relationship. I know my, uh, my wife and her father uh, work, had to work on their relationship. He, my, as I said before, my wife is one of 11 kids, same mom, same dad. They took in uh, uh, other kids from the extended family because they were uh, able, for family members who weren't able to support them. So sometimes it'd be 13, 14 kids in the household. They didn't have a family. They had like a litter is what they had. <laughs> and uh, so with that came uh, some inattention. And I know for my wife, one of the things that she worked through that is really finding her dad's heart in that. That, that helped cover up a bunch of wounds. And for her dad, the most powerful thing is when he came to know Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, I, I had the great opportunity. I was pastoring uh, a church in uh, Carefree, Arizona. Doesn't that sound like an awesome town? <laughs> and uh, they were living in Scottsdale, started coming to the church, and, and they, were, they hadn't been church people for 30, 40 years. And, and he, he responded and said, you know, I really want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And they moved back to Montana, and he started going to church and, and serving, and, and he went to every one of his kids. And where he had hurt them, he said, I just want you to know that I'm sorry. And this is a man in his 70s. And what can make that kind of difference is when Jesus Christ enter someone's heart and life. And you may not get that from them, 
But that does not have to control your response. See, here's what we learn about men, too, is imperfect faith is still real faith. In fact, you see this again and again. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verse 20, it says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, that God can use that. And then there's encounters Jesus has, one with a Roman soldier, really sort of crazy as you look at it. He has a servant that's sick. And instead of doing all the religious things he's supposed to do, he goes, hey, Jesus, Uh, this guy was not a a follower of God. He says, hey, I know how this works. You have authority. I have authority. So you just tell uh, the sickness to go away and the person will be healed. And that, by the way, that's a totally jacked up theology. And it really is. Jesus could have said, you know what? You need to go home and read the Bible a little bit. And you know what he said instead? He said, I haven't found faith like this, even among God's people. Because it it may have been imperfect, but it was a real attempt. Uh, So so David, here's what happens to him. And this is where the problem really begins. Is, Is David, he's come from this great military victory. He's brought back this article of worship. And then... Uh, he decides to basically, you know, sort of strip down to his underwear and dance before God. Okay, it says, uh, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And so he's basically, he's, he's not like getting naked or anything like that. He's bas- but uh, he, he's there and he's just worshiping God. Notice what it says, with all his might. Uh, if, you, if you look at some of the actual physical battles that David had as the king of the nation of Israel, it's never described the, the amount of effort that he put in worshiping God. It was real and authentic worship. I see this here at Timberlake a lot too as well, uh, where sometimes, uh, especially married couples, it'll be a lady will come in and say, well, you know, I like to go to this church and my husband, all I want to do is get my husband to go to church. And the husband goes to church and you've heard the story after story, accepts Jesus Christ and then says, I really want to live for Jesus. And then it totally rocks the marriage because you wanted a husband that was Christian, but not that Christian. (laughs) I literally, I just had a conversation this week. He says, no, like everything. Like, I want to serve our money. Whoa, I wanted you to be a good church person. And so what I would say this too, and, and, I, and I mean this, is, not that I, I meant the other stuff too, just by the way, <laughs> is, I say this for the ladies as well, that you are married, uh, if you're married, What if your husband wanted to live for Jesus Christ and order everything in your life, your time, your finances, your friendships around that? Do you want that kind of real faith? See, I've seen it happen, and God can do it. And then part of that is saying, okay, even though it might rock my world a little bit, I believe that worshiping Jesus is the most important thing. Well, that's not what happens in, uh, in the relationship between uh, Mikkel and David. Uh, and we learned this next principle, that contempt kills us in any relationship. Uh, it, we read in uh, 2 Samuel 6, 16, 
It says, uh, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. So where do you think that came from? See, as I, as I was studying the story for the last couple weeks, uh, I think the seed of that was a poison pill with a relationship with her and her father, and it just, it just this whole mess. And now, it doesn't say at that point that she said anything, but I'm sure David knew it. In fact, uh, you've heard the studies. John Gottman, uh, who basically almost all marriage and family research, at least in, the, in this country and, and in the West, is based on, teaches at the University of Washington. Uh, not, a, not a Christ follower, he's a Jewish man. And he has an uh, incredible track record. With over 95% accuracy, within 15 minutes, he can tell within, a couple will be divorced within, I think it's five to seven years. 15 minutes, over 95% accuracy. And uh, no one's been able to match that. And based, almost all Christian books are based on his research as well. You know the one thing he looks for? Contempt. He said, if there's contempt shown, then there probably will be a divorce. And he's right just about 96% of the times. And so you say, what happens if I feel contempt? Because maybe it's your boss, your parent, they've done something contemptible. Well, if you're a Christ, boy, it's quiet in this room. (laughs) If you're a Christ follower, That's where you come in and you say, just as Jesus went to the cross to forgive me for the worst in me, that I'm going to find a way to forgive as well. You may have to work on issues and all of that, but contempt will kill us in any relationship. In fact, it says this in Psalm 69, 20. King David says this. uh, He says, scorn has broken my heart and left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. Number five. Making us feel bad will not make us behave better. Uh, Now, we try this uh, with a bad-behaving co-worker, a dad, a brother, a child, a husband who acts like a child. (laughs) We try this uh, every once in a while, uh, but it doesn't work. Notice what we find in this account. It says, Michal, daughter of Saul, uh, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Do you, do you get, that's called sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> she's being a little bit sarcastic there. Uh, and, and notice what she did. She went out in public. She was hanging out at Starbucks. She was talking with her girlfriends saying, you know what he did. I know what he did. They were having that, and and you say, oh, do people... I I hear these conversations all the time. I record them. No, the... uh, (laughs) I don't. I just tell you about them. (laughs) So she she goes out into a public place. You want to take care of the... You say, well, I really wanted to work on the issue. If you did it publicly, you didn't. You just wanted to shame him. And the result, 100% of the times will be a train wreck. If you want a compliment, and and guys, this goes for you too. Some of you are just like sitting there smiling. (laughs) uh, Don't don't embarrass 
someone. But, but and this goes for work too. You want to embarrass your boss? You know what they call that? <laughs> the key to unemployment. That's what they call that. Because they'll remember it. And as a Christ follower, wouldn't we do what Jesus did as he took our shame on us, so that on himself, so we wouldn't have to bear our shame? And see, that's when we're following in the way of Jesus. See, he calls sin, sin. If you don't, that's just foolishness, stupidness. But he brings forgiveness to it. And when she, so, so, so here, here's what uh, we read. Uh, she came out to him, he says, How's he, how, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked, in full view of the slave girls and his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. It's interesting what she's doing there is she's calling out his motives too. Uh, she, she's saying, oh, you know, you're, you read between the lines there. She's saying, hey, you're just trying to, you know, prove what a man you are to all these uh, ladies around. But here's something else we learned, and, and this is going to be a little bit of a shocker for some of you, uh, that sex is a driver for men, but not the only one. Uh, it isn't. I mean, you've, you've heard that study uh, that, you know, you've heard people say that men think about sex every seven seconds. Have you heard that before? That's tr- totally untrue. Ohio State did, University just did a study. Men only think about sex 19 times a day. So it's really not that bad at all. And the, <laughs> that is true, that study. Uh, but, but it's interesting for King David. Uh, look at what we read. It says... Uh, Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, some people would read this and say, well, God punished her and made it so she couldn't have children. Most scholars who read the text would agree that it was David lost interest because of the contempt. Now, if you know anything about King David, for him to lose interest in sex was virtually impossible. There's literally, I I don't kid you, you could not make this up. There's a story in the Bible where David's old and they want to find out if he's going to die or live. And so they bring in this beautiful young girl. He doesn't try anything. They figure he's dead already. (laughs) And I mean, this is is a guy who is driven by this. But the, the contempt and the hurt were a bigger driver. And so here's what he does. David uses this as an excuse. We hear the accounts in the Bible, don't you? you you've, uh, and I wasn't raised in church, but I heard about this one, about David and Bathsheba, and you know, he sort of sees this beautiful lady and, and ends up with an affair and all sorts of horrible things that happen. And I'm sure that David probably said, see, see what she was like? She drove me to it. You know what's interesting? Is that God does not let David off the hook. God says, hey, you've got to deal with your own sin and your own failure. And he sends someone, uh, Nathan, a, a prophet, to come to him and point that out. Here, here's, here's really this final principle. is We are more open to change than you think. Now, King David was the most powerful person 
in the land, he could have gotten away with whatever he really wanted to get away with. But here's what we read is after he's confronted with his own sin. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David uh, reflects on his sin and on his failure, and we read this in the Psalms. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and the Lord forgave the guilt of my sin. Maybe that's where uh, you're at today. You're uh, a man or a woman, and there's lots of good reasons that you have ended up where you've ended up. And the reality is that no matter what the circumstance, no matter what brought you there, that change is possible. You know, we're talking about this in the context of relationships between men and and women and all of that. But I think the context needs to be much bigger than that. That no matter what we've gone through, no matter what we've done, that God can meet us right in the middle of that. I want you to hear a story of someone who goes to uh, our Duval campus and, and his spiritual journey along this path. 